Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Good. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan. I am Lauren. <laughs> it's good. It's uh it's more brief than some of our other introductions. Do they need to know our last names or do they already know? No, I'll give you a hint. Actually, it's more of a hint. More than a hint. It's Malika. That is my last name. It's Malika. <laughs> that's not even a hint. That's just the entire thing. That is the truth. That is the truth. My last name is Baker or Sewin, really. Depends. Here in Illinois, things are still closed, so, uh... Also, we're, we're about to enter phase three of reopening, which gives us exciting opportunities. However, none of the places that I need to be open to change my name will be opening. So oh, name change still, it's the most annoying thing because I can mail in the name change form, but I would get need back to, to you. Well, the problem is, in order to do that, I need a certified copy of my driver's license, which uh, I can only get at the DMV, which is still not open, so I would need to bring the, all the paperwork and my actual license into the Social Security office, which is also not open, so, like, there's just... There's a lot of, uh, of roadblocks. There's a lot of roadblocks. I had planned on changing my name, like, immediately, um... I mean, and that's something I'll say is, like, without the pandemic, that process is actually super annoying anyway, so I can't imagine what it's like now. I know, yeah. It's a little extra, so a little, little difficult to figure out what it is that I'm doing. <laughs> but that's fine. One day. One day I'll mm -hmm. be Megan Sewin. In my heart, you're Megan Sewin. Thank you. Just colloquially, yeah. Megan Sewin. So we're, we're very excited to talk about our subject today, but uh, before we get into it, uh, I think we have a shout out. We do have a shout out. We have a shout out for our new patron, Kate Ooh. Spencer, who is not only a patron, but is also my older sister. So hey. thank you, Kate. What's <laughs> I up, hope Kate? you are well. <laughs> Much love, Kate. Thank you for supporting my dreams. You are a good sister. That's that's a real big sister thing. That's great. It's, yeah, it's it's a, she's great. She's she's a good big sister. So yes. thank you for supporting me, both in life and through Patreon. <laughs> yes, I had both a lot of fun. Nice. I had a lot of fun with your sister at your wedding. You did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a she's a fun person. Do you have like a particular fun moment from the wedding with my sister? <laughs> <laughs> There were a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of my favorites. I mean, a lot of, like, my favorite memories, too, are, like, of, you know, your nephew, her son. I don't know if we want to say his name. Probably not. Just cause he's, like, Probably a, not. We'll just leave it to my nephew. Um, the nephew um, was super cute, super funny. I was just saying that your nephew is super, super funny. I loved all of his, like, 90s, like, anecdotal little things. Yeah, A lot of Wayne's is. World references. Yeah, he, uh, he is a good kid. He is really, really, really funny. Um, I think it was really great. 
looking at the pictures because he's kind of shy. Mm-hmm. And then so was our flower girl, mm-hmm. who just, like, is so shy that sometimes it still takes her a good 15 minutes of me being at the house when she'll even say words to me. And she loves me. She's just kind of really shy. And, like, she had the flu, and then the baby flower girl was fine, but then the my nephew who was pushing the baby flower girl in a stroller, he also had the flu. So in every single picture from the wedding where there are children in it, they just all look terrible. <laughs> it's like, because like a few of them are sick and then my nephew is just like so shy when there's crowds that he just looks violently uncomfortable in every single photo. It's like those like children's pictures from like the early 1900s where like no one's smiling. <laughs> it's kind of eerie. <laughs> yeah, the kid's dad, um from the flower girls he like looks and he's just like my children look like dead victorian children (laughs) in all of these photos (laughs) he's like you know those old photos that they took after the person had died and then the kids are like with their dead parent looking that's exactly what i was thinking of that is what they look like he's like and i'm like you know i wasn't gonna be the one to say it you should, like, but, put them in black and white and then give it to them, like, for Christmas or something. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty, pretty funny. Um, pretty funny pictures. So, yeah. Thank you, Kate, for just being just a good, solid bridesmaid. Yes. Solid helper in life. So, it was just her birthday, too. So, happy oh, birthday. Happy birthday, Kate. As well. So, yeah. Good stuff. We are still, uh, you know, getting closer to, I guess, some of our goals with our Patreon account. We're now not going into debt, and we are approaching the point where we could possibly do something with a little bit of the money. Mm -mm -mm. Something we were throwing out into the universe was, you know, it'd be nice if, um, you know, if we had, like, a certain dollar amount, we could probably subscribe to some psychology journals, um, Mm -hmm. and be able to reference research and talk about research in a way that's easy to understand for you folks, um, because we are research nerds, and we love it, um, and you may not know this, but you can't just, like, access, uh, research articles unless you pay for them, Um, sometimes you can, but unless you're, like, in school, part of, like, a university and have, like, a university login, it's, it's difficult to access all that. Right, and, like, you can email the researchers if you can find them, if they're still practicing, um, however, that can be a lengthy process to try to get a hold of people. Yeah. And you know usually they'll send it to you but again it's if we're on a time crunch that's a bit difficult because who knows if they're going to be able to respond and send it to you same day or whatever yeah and we've definitely been utilizing um you know some friends who are in school or are teaching school and have some access to get us research articles so we greatly appreciate that but we could possibly subscribe to a journal in the future maybe buy some books i have bought books for the podcast before actually i have a few that i've found at half price books um so you know some 
additional money in our research budget would be lovely. Absolutely. And I mean, if, if it gets to this point where, you know, the podcast becomes a little bit bigger, um, you know, exploring merch, exploring like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm go. trying to think what what kind of merch would we do? I know in our first episode there was talks of a bathrobe. I mean, that would be like my go-to. Spooky psych bathrobe. Yeah. Maybe I will cross stitch a spooky psych something. Yes. Raffle it off. That's just a bathrobe that says spooky on the back. Ooh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I'd wear it. I would too. I would um, definitely. We'll just wear like it. embroider little little spoons on it as well. <laughs> Watch next year around the holidays, Lauren and I will just exchange identical spooky psych bathrobes. <laughs> End of gift. Actually, I did get you a bathrobe. You did. My red one. I was wearing I it. Um, we actually had to gut and replace all our plumbing. So, uh, during that time, it was downpouring, and I didn't have access to my hoodies, but I did have access to my bathrobe that you gave me, so I was sporting that all weekend. What? Glad to help. Also, Mm -hmm. very sorry that you had to replace all of your plumbing. I imagine that was a frustrating and expensive process. Yes. um, It was one of those things where, essentially it was a project that we needed to get done um Mm -hmm. but we didn't realize like how lengthy it was gonna be um it essentially took the entire weekend and we didn't have access to our bathroom so you can imagine how that went (laughs) so what what was your solution so luckily uh nick's parents lived 10 minutes away so if we had to you know specifically me i don't do well peeing outside like it just has never worked out for me and uh like peeing on myself like in the backyard yep uh that just doesn't work out for me so i would mosey on over to their house um luckily it's easier for nick to just pee in the backyard so that was a thing there's just we were really roughing it this weekend (laughs) i mean that is also just like an additional problem during social distancing and with everything going on because it's like I mean we had not like a you know you try your best to not see people but like if they're doing work on your house and so many places like you're not allowed to go inside of restaurants so it's not like you can just like go to McDonald's and pee or like you know if you're right near a park sucks to suck all the park bathrooms are closed Yeah, so you kind of have no choice we were like that with a laundry when all of this started because yeah. we don't have access to a wash well technically we do have access to a washer and dryer but they're not very usable and so we rely on laundry mats and so we went to Tim's sister's house to do our laundry mm-hmm. because I I mean they don't really like go places and see people so they're a bit safer than like every person we could possibly encounter in a laundromat, you know. Fair enough. And I, I mean, gotta make those calls. I mean, it's it's one of those things, too, where, um, you know, we asked, like, the plumber, because we were just like, yo, like, we know what we're doing for our bathroom situation. 
what are you doing? Because, <laughs> like, like, where are you going to the bathroom? And I, I don't know if this is, like, a trade secret, uh, but I guess plumbers have a bucket that they keep in the back of their vans that they use. Hmm. It's brutal. <laughs> That's very sad. I know. I was like, you know what? I don't... I have a newfound respect for you guys. <laughs> You're like, you are also welcome to pee in our backyard if you need if, to. If necessary, we will exit. We'll make this a comfortable situation for we you. We will, you know, we'll let you go. That is something... Yeah. I mean, as much as I would love to own a home one day, that is one of the things that... As a renter, it is nice that, like, none of that stuff is my problem. Yes. Ever. Yeah. And it's just like, you need to fix something, you get at it. I will sit here and do nothing. And call no one other than you. Although our complex is so shitty when it comes to the one time we've called. We've been here for more than three years. We've called maintenance once. Oh. Uh, well, twice. We've called twice. Once was for our dishwasher leaking and so like active leak in the apartment it took two weeks three visits to the office and five phone calls to get someone to come fix our dishwasher oh good the other time was because there was a leak in the hallway that smelled like piss so it was like there's just like a puddle of pee and a leaking pipe in the hallway so i was like i don't know if you guys want to fix that probably some or, sort of health hazard yeah this is just how we live now they put a bucket down Oh, it good. got fixed like three weeks later so now that you mention it i feel like i saw that i think you probably did yeah. yeah remember when it just used to leak all the time yeah yeah there was this constant water in the hallways guys i don't live somewhere nice is what i'm saying <laughs> but also become a patron so we can <laughs> make a move out <laughs> There is a reason why a housing fund was pretty much all we asked for the wedding. It's just like, if you choose to get us gifts, please just give us money. We want to move somewhere that's not here. But <laughs> anywhere also, but here. Anywhere but like I don't know if I don't know if we would try to own a home. It is a bit. There's pros and cons to each, I yeah. suppose. But the whole, like, I guess we need to redo all the plumbing now. Well, that was one of those things where we do it, like, when we moved in. Like, eventually yeah, we're gonna okay. have to do this because our house is from 1950. So it had, like, galvanized plumbing. Mm -hmm. Galvanized steel. Uh, so we're like, okay, we're gonna have to do this. And for us, we really wanted to get that project done, you know, before having kids. Just so we don't have to, like, you know, wash our newborn babies and like, old plumbing water. <laughs> so yeah that would be that would be tragic i mean okay as much as i like kids and uh want kids eventually and i i'm sure you're in the same boat as me right now how happy are you that you don't have children right now in currently the very quarantine? happy <laughs> yes uh i can't imagine working from home and having a screaming baby in the background okay. um also, you know, to be frank, I really like sleeping in. That's just kind of my thing, so. A multitude. I, uh, yeah, I know, we're just saying, like, just so, I really enjoy this time of my life of not having children, 
Like, I'm sure I would also enjoy having children, but in a different day. But I think it's good to fully let yourself enjoy all of the benefits of not having children. Where it's just like, kids are cool, but like, you, you don't get this level of freedom when you have children. And I feel like not enough people really enjoy that. So you gotta really lean into it That's before you I'm have doing. kids if you can. Obviously not everyone can, but I think if you are in the position, it's nice to... It is enjoy nice. it. We very keep nice. talking about that, especially in the aforementioned shitty place that I live. Having a child here, a lot Ugh. of our neighbors have kids. Um, one of our neighbors has several kids, and I have a very high tolerance for children noises. But I have no idea what they do all day because it is loud. Oh, it's the lo- and I've had like six different neighbors in that apartment since we moved in. Some with kids. One of them was a drummer, and him drumming was not as loud as these kids are. So I'm very mm. confused as to what's happening. <laughs> it's a bit okay. alarming, and well, it starts at like seven in the morning. But yeah, like if you want to become a patron, <laughs> look at Megan out of her apartment complex. <laughs> Just Let's let me do talk it. about my. Obviously, I don't want to say too much because I don't yeah. want people to know where I live. No yeah, absolutely not. No. Uh, no offense to you guys, but I'd rather you not know. Yeah, I don't I guess want with, people to know where I live either. With the exception of my sister, she already knows. Um, the word is out. <laughs> a few, a few of our listeners might know, but. Yeah, I'll just talk about how shitty my apartment is. I'm sure lots of us are in shitty apartments, but I will say that has been one of the most irritating things for me about this whole pandemic situation is how much of the advice that is given and the recommendations that is given completely ignore those of us who live in shitty apartments. Yeah. Where it's just like, wash your clothes immediately when you enter, or like all of this other stuff, and like stock up on several weeks of food. You're like, where the fuck do I put all that? Right? It's, there, there, there's, there's stuff everywhere. We've <laughs> utilized the storage to the maximum. Like, it's all of that kind of stuff that you just don't. Don't think about Like, people forget that lots of people live in apartments and don't mm-hmm. have access to certain things that people in homes have and it creates difficulty see well (laughs) i don't know how to transition this um (laughs) i don't know how to transition this either i guess you know speaking of things that also deeply bother me and make me angry um this is really just a megan's rage episode episode a bit so today we are going to be talking about uh, the colloquial name is Munchausen's and or Munchausen's by proxy. They are two different the things. They are different things. And they're related but different. And the technical term is a factitious disorder. Yes. So that's the actual word for it. For anybody who wants to scroll through the DSM and do them some reading. <laughs> we have nothing else to do, so please do. Yeah, I mean, actually a lot of us are still working and still have plenty to do. Also, Lauren, I don't know if you've noticed this. How much more housework do you feel like you have now that you're home all the time? Tons. It's so much more. It's excessive. So many more dishes. Yes. It's just like, man, stop. (laughs) My little madness, stop. (laughs) Stop. 
Okay, so start off. Um, and we kind of did this differently today, so there's just going to be much longer chunks of each of us talking because that's how our research panned out. So y'all are stuck with me for a bit. Thank you. But don't worry, I'll chime in. <laughs> Lauren will chime in. No, actually, we're just going to each read our own shit with no interaction. We thought that would be fun. Uh, we're going to bring you back to your least favorite thing about college and just really go with boring lectures in as monotone as possible. And it's going to be real fun. It's everyone's dream. So the a factitious disorder, it is in the DSM-5. Um, it's a diagnosis basically for people who falsify an illness in themselves or another person without any obvious gain. So if you're falsifying the illness in yourself, it's a factitious disorder. If you're falsifying it on another person, it's the factitious disorder imposed on another. So Munchausen's would be when you do it to yourself. Munchausen's by proxy is when you do it to somebody else. Typically your child, um, but could also be a spouse, elderly family member, or just anyone else that is dependent on you. So some people will fake an illness for something like financial gain or to get out of work, um, like faking a work injury. That is not a factitious disorder. It's still a problematic behavior, but it is a different thing people with this or with Munchausen's like it is more for attention that tends to be the motivation is the attention of being a sick person um which confuses me a little bit because as a sick person I've never found that I've gotten more attention for it um perhaps I'm just not sick enough for the attention piece to like really kick in but for these people, it is kind of an attention thing. Mm -hmm. um, and with this, they know that it's a deception. Right. Like, they know that they're not that sick, but they don't see it as a problem. So, like, they still think, like, they don't actually see that it's a problem, and they don't necessarily understand their own motivations for doing it. Right. So, basically, the actual prevalence is really hard to pin down nearly impossible because people with it will present with essentially the same symptoms as people who are actually sick um but some estimates say that three to five percent of basically encounters with doctors involve factitious disease so i think a lot of doctors have seen it maybe once may or may not have recognized it so kind of with that there's lots of things that people can do um, in order to fake the symptoms, which I'll go more in depth into. Sometimes they actually will cause symptoms in themselves. Sometimes they'll just lie and say they have symptoms that they don't have. So it kind of depends. Um, mm -hmm. It usually presents as recurrent episodes of deceptive behavior. The onset is usually in early adulthood, often after they've been hospitalized for a medical or psychiatric condition. So, and then when imposed on another person, it tends to happen after that person has been hospitalized. Um, so a lot of times it kind of seems like a person will somehow end up hospitalized for an actual medical thing, find that they really like the attention of being in a hospital, and then continuously do things to get themselves hospitalized. Mm -hmm. 
and treatment is possible but it is really really difficult to treat if unless the person admits that they have it right so unless they're like yep i am purposely doing this and are willing to work on it unlikely that is actually gonna work yep um so there is some more information it, the symptoms involve mimicking or producing an illness or injury or exaggerating symptoms or impairments to deceive others. So some of these people are genuinely sick, but mm-hmm. they will make themselves sicker or act like they are sicker or need more assistance than they actually do. And sometimes, you know, they are actually causing symptoms in themselves some they go through great lengths to hide what they're doing and it may be difficult to realize that their symptoms are actually part of a serious mental health disorder and sometimes even if it doesn't work like they're not getting the attention they will keep going and even without receiving any visible benefit or reward or when they're faced with objective evidence that doesn't support it they will still keep going yeah it's called uh doctor shopping so like Mm -hmm. kind of going from doctor to doctor until you get the answer that you want Mm -hmm. and the problem is sometimes that is legitimate and sometimes you need to keep going to different doctors until one helps you um i have had to fire a doctor before because um I first got diagnosed in gr- with my chronic pain condition in grad school after years of going through when I had a, like, through doctors who were like, oh, it's growing pains, you'll be fine, or oh, whatever, all the mm-hmm. stuff they said. And um, I had a doctor who I got diagnosed, and then, you know, when I called to set up a doctor's appointment when I came back from grad school, I mentioned it, and I was like, I want to talk about it in treatment. And they're like, well, what makes you think you have this? He was like, well, I got diagnosed with it. Here's the medical records. She's like, no, you don't have this. You're just depressed. So I did fire her for that. Oh, God. Um, and I had to explain to her that the way she was diagnosing me with depression was not a valid way of diagnosing someone with depression. It was a five-point scale. And because I said I had physical pain and had felt sad in the last month, she said I was depressed. Which okay. is not a valid way to do depression. So every once in a while, you do actually have to fire a doctor. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the tricky things. And I think Lauren and I can speak to this a bit as people yep. with chronic illnesses who have had some negative experiences with doctors, oh, yeah. some positive experiences, is that some people will pretend to have specifically the illness I do actually have is a pretty common one that people will pretend to have, which is the most frustrating thing because when your doctors see people who don't really have it or who are exaggerating symptoms, they are much less likely to believe people who actually do have it. Yeah. And so, so much of this is causing problematic things in there and it's taking behaviors that are adaptive for people who actually have chronic illness and making them be seen as a very negative thing but also you might not have to doctor shock so much if there weren't people who were pretending to have your illness in the first place that's making doctors wary of you so it is a really complicated issue absolutely but there's a difference between firing your doctor for not listening to you at all And for just being like, no, you don't have it. I think she told me it wasn't a real thing or that I was too young to have it or some nonsense like that. 
which is not true at all. I mean, um, I've had to fire a doctor before because they, like, simply, like, did not listen to what I was saying and, you know, the nature of, like, my disorder, and it caused me to relapse and have a visit to the emergency room again, um, and it was just, like, one of those things where it's, like, yeah, like, if you would have just listened to me and understood that I have, like, these risk factors to get more blood clots, like, you probably wouldn't have put me on that medication. But I think the other problem is doctors who don't collaborate and speak mm -hmm. to other doctors when it's not really their specialty. Yeah. So, doctors are problematic at times, um, but the people who mimic disorders do... And I understand, of course, they do have a very serious mental illness that needs treatment, but their actions do directly negatively impact the lives and treatment options of people who have chronic illnesses, and I think that's something that a lot of times people with Munchausen's wouldn't consider. Right. Like, the impact that it is having on people and that it is something that could harm other people as well. Sure. Um, and so some signs and symptoms, um, and this is all from the Mayo Clinic's mm. information on here where I'm getting all this stuff. Um, so extensive knowledge of medical terms and diseases. A lot of people with Munchausen's do their research or have worked in a medical facility before, and so they know a lot about different things, um, and they know a whole lot about specific medical terminology, so they will use that in conversation that most people would not necessarily use. They have vague or inconsistent symptoms. Um, that is why I think a lot of the go-to for people is saying that they have the disorder that I do have, because it is the most vague bullshit syndrome of all time, quite frankly, and it sounds made up, and I get it, because it's inconsistent and it changes all the time. Um, so the kind of just, like, vague things happening. Uh, conditions that get worse for no apparent reason. Uh, things that don't respond as expected to standardized treatments, so treatments that work really well might not work, that's a bit of a red flag. Um, seeking treatment from many different doctors or hospitals and using fake names mm -hmm. um which is also a concern for abuse that's also a red flag that the person is being abused multiple hospital visits multiple different doctors and uh using fake names that is something that women who are in domestically violent relationships or men who are in domestically violent relationships or children who are being abused will often do that as well. So it's always a red flag. It may not be a red flag for Munchausen. So Just something pretend. to pay attention to. Right. Like, something that is inherently suspicious. Um, <laughs> reluctance to let them talk to family, friends, mm -hmm. or healthcare professionals. Um, I will say speaking as a person with an actual chronic illness that's been diagnosed by eight different doctors at this point in time, they can all talk to each other. I have no issue if they all talk to each other. Yep. They can talk to my husband, they can talk to my mom if they really want to. I'll sign paperwork for them to talk to whoever they want to. I really don't care. Right, um, you just want the treatment and you want to feel better. So it's like, sure, if you want my husband to verify that I'm in pain, 
by all means, ask him as many questions as you want to. If you want to see any of my medical records, I will print them out and bring them to you. It's, you know, I think it's kind of a thing that when you do have a chronic illness that requires multiple doctors to treat, you get used to always signing releases for paperwork. Um, A lot of times you have to bring it or fax it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So you get used to doing that. That's that's like a pretty standard chronic illness thing. If you're relatively healthy, you really don't necessarily have to do that. But if you have any medical condition, you're pretty used to signing releases and bringing paperwork and all of that. Because there's so many different like specialists, especially like with, you know, different like autoimmune disorders. Like, you know, like I have a hematologist and then I also have my general practitioner and, mm-hmm. you know there are certain times where like, oh, do you want to go speak to, like, a rheumatologist? <laughs> so. You want to go talk to this person? Because why not at this yeah. point in time? Yeah, I've seen rheumatologists, I've seen GPs, I've seen sleep specialists, I've seen dermatologists. I've seen lots of different people. They can, and most of them I see within the same medical system, so they can That's just the download best. the paperwork. I'm just like, I <laughs> highly recommend that to anybody who's chronically ill. Get in <laughs> with a group where you can just stay in the same building, where they can just open up your medical record and read through it. And it's the same place where, like, at one point in time, I'm just like, just like look through my medical record i was born in this hospital system so you can just check in and see how that went and like like you want to know about the time i dislocated both of my elbows when i was three just google it it's in there like you can find it all read through everything i've seen other doctors because of insurance issues but for the most part they can all see it it's great frequent stays in the hospital uh yeah and if if you're you know, a pretty healthy-minded person, you know, being in the hospital is awful. Mm -hmm. Most people do not enjoy being in the hospital. No. See, and that's something that I find so interesting, particularly with the illness that I do have, when I see people saying that they're hospitalized for it again, and I'm like, I can't even get, who are these doctors that are hospitalizing you for it? Because I can't even get extra tests run like where are all of these like this is not something that requires hospitalization pretty much ever like my condition is painful and annoying but pretty much will never lead to me being in a hospital Mm -hmm. unless i happen to get injured that's the only way and that would be like an er visit and that's happened like i've met but they're not gonna admit me for this i'm like i'm in pain and they're like that sucks go home that's pretty much what i get so it's that one i find interesting especially with certain conditions where it's like i don't even understand how they're getting hospitalized for it um i think part of it must be like the scaling system that doctors have where they're like okay rate your pain from like zero to ten and i think maybe like if you're like oh it's like a ten maybe like liability wise they have to send i don't know maybe maybe Because I know even after I got into a car accident, I was, like, taken to the emergency room on a stretcher, they refused to give me pain medication because of my condition. Yep. Because they automatically assume that you're drug-seeking. Oh, my God. With mine. So, yeah, after, um, let's see, four hours, CT scans, and everything else, I literally had to tell them my pain was at a seven. 
before they would offer me anything, but I have the misfortune of both having a vague chronic pain illness and also um, having a sensitivity to ibuprofen, which is also a red flag in the emergency rooms, because it makes me, it makes my stomach hurt really bad. It's not even that bad, I'm just like, my stomach hurts. And then Tylenol with codeine makes me vomit, but Tylenol is fine, Aleve is fine. So they were like, well, I can give you a Motrin. I'm like, well, that's ibuprofen, which I just told you I won't take. And I'm like, do you have Tylenol? Do you have Aleve? I will take any of that. Like, I'm not even looking for codeine or anything. Like, I don't want, like, anything. But they would refuse to do that and then after like four hours they're like we'll give you a flexerol and then they're like you have to be so careful because this is gonna make you pass out i'm like really because i took flexerol at this dosage every single day for a year oh god because of my condition i'm like it won't make me sleep but like sure i'll take it and it's like that's all they would do so that's kind of like an interesting thing because enough people have presented with this with claims that didn't make sense also when you're in chronic pain your body no longer responds to pain in the same way so like my blood pressure will not spike even after a car accident it just won't anymore i don't know Mm -hmm. why and so it's just like unfortunately some of people who have done this have raised enough red flags that it's like i was brought on a stretcher we have the police report about the car accident i don't understand why you don't believe that i'm in pain at this point in time they're like you're good it's like cool fine whatever um another big red flag for munchausen's is an eagerness to have frequent testing or risky operations most people do not want to get frequent like ct scans or anything that is at all Mm -hmm. dangerous and are pretty reluctant to get surgery unless they absolutely need it so people who are constantly pushing for more procedures Um, lots of surgical scars or evidence of lots of procedures, uh, not having visitors when you're hospitalized or having very few visitors, and arguing with doctors and staff. Ah. So I think it's, it is unfortunate (laughs) that, and I do know people that because of fears of Munchausen's have been refused medical treatment that they actually do need, so... It's a serious thing. It's just a complicated issue because it is a serious psychological condition, but because it's kind of impossible to tell in certain situations if this person is faking it or if this person actually has these symptoms, that it can negatively impact people who actually are sick. Yep. Um, So some of the ways that people with Munchausen's uh, present, they will exaggerate existing symptoms so they'll say they're sicker say they need a wheelchair if they actually don't say all of these things that being said some people with conditions do need a wheelchair sometimes and not other times that is a very real thing but like if you don't need it at all saying that you need it saying that your condition is much worse than it is Mm -hmm. um they will make up medical histories like Uh. you know claiming to have cancer or AIDS, uh, some will falsify their medical records and send them over, which again, knowing a lot about medical terminology, it'd be kind of hard to fake your medical records unless you know a lot about how they're written. Faking symptoms such as stomach pain, uh, seizures, and passing out. Um, Seizures are very hard to fake convincingly, and that is one that they do have a very good methodology of telling if you're faking or not. 
Mm-hmm. So seizures are pretty easy to tell, but like stomach pain, it's really hard to tell visually if someone's stomach hurts or not. Um, causing self-harm, so actually making themselves sick by like uh, people have injected themselves with bacteria, milk, gasoline, or feces to induce symptoms. Um, injuring, cutting, or burning themselves, taking medications like blood thinners that they don't need. Um, and interfering with wound healing, such as reopening or infecting cuts on purpose. Um, And then tampering with medical stuff, like uh, heating up thermometers or tamper, like uh, putting blood in urine samples, like cutting themselves and then putting that blood in with their urine, things like that where they're tampering with tests. Yeah, that's intense. Right? Um, Yeah. And then there's some risk factors. Again, we don't necessarily know the causes of factitious disorders, but some risk factors that we have found We have some ideas. Some ideas. Childhood trauma as a risk factor for everything. As is tradition. My apologies to everyone who's ever had to sit through a presentation on their on ACE scores before and is like, well, I'm fucked for life, apparently. My um, ACE's score is 10. <laughs> they're just like, childhood trauma can ruin your life. And it's like, cool. Um, so childhood trauma again, is not something that you can't overcome. It's just something that happens to exist in a lot of people with other... It doesn't mean you're going to get any of it. It just means that it is a risk factor. It, it increases plays a role, your risk. Or it could. It could. Um, a, having a serious illness during childhood, the loss of a loved one through death, illness, or abandonment, past experiences during a time of sickness and attention, getting attention from it, um, low self-esteem, personality disorders, depression, a desire to be associated with doctors or medical centers and working in the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. All are risk factors. Um, it's considered rare, but it's not known how many people have it because, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind, it can be hard to tell that people are faking sick, and if they're using fake names and going to lots of different doctors, it can be nearly impossible to actually catch these people. For sure. Um, and complications. Uh, some complications that people have seen happen with people with Munchausen's. Uh, injury or death from self-inflicted medical conditions. They can't kill you. Um, severe problems from infections or unnecessary surgeries. Loss of limbs. Oh, God. From unnecessary uh, Some of the infections can get severe enough that you do have to get amputations. I guess uh, that makes sense, Yeah. yeah. If you're constantly reopening wounds and infecting them, you can easily lose a limb doing that. Uh, So everyone, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, Significant problems in daily life and abuse when the behavior is inflicted on another. So, again, like, we're not trying to say that people... People with Munchausen's are very, very sick. They're not sick in the way they want to be sick, but they do have a... It is a very severe mental illness. Yeah. And it's also very risky. Right. It's a very when considering all the lengths that they'll take to get this type of attention, it's very sad. It is sad, and it's sad, and they are very, very sick people, and so we, of course, want to have respect for them. Um, because they do need treatment, just not the treatment that they're getting. Like, and a lot of the treatment that they're getting is going to make their illness worse. 
because they're getting the attention it is reinforcing the behavior and it, it is an unfortunate thing that the symptoms that they are inventing or pretending that they have like implementing or just you know lying about misrepresenting are so similar to the actual symptoms that doctors have a duty to make sure people are actually sick and to make sure that they're not harming people and sometimes it really can have a negative impact on people who actually are sick and need the help and it's a huge barrier to getting treatment because doctors don't always believe you and not that I've never been accused of having Munchausen's before I've seen my medical records it's not in there um I just happen to have a very controversial diagnosis where some people think that it's real some people think that it's not I think it's probably a few different conditions that are currently under one name and it's probably of too many people being looped into one thing that's like my personal Mm-hmm. preference I think it's like it's like a it's a standing diagnosis I think it's gonna change once they figure out what it actually is but like great research is being done it's just unfortunate that a lot of people are chronically ill in pretty vague ways that can seem made up and it's really hard to tell who's faking and who's not right this is kind of anecdotal but I did get accused once so I remember in grad school I went to like a new psychiatrist and I you know, so I'm somebody where I am a thousand percent positive. I have some form of like ADD, ADHD, like, you know, my attention, like I just need more stimuli to be able to pay attention. Um, and during that time I was very anxious, obviously, cause I was in grad school right. and I was having issues with like sustaining my attention. And so like I went there and I was saying, you know, like, I don't know if it's necessary for me to be on some sort of like ADHD medication. Like, you know, that's why I'm here. I want to talk about it. Um, basically the psychiatrist accused me of being a sex worker and was saying that I was going to sell the medication to, and my body apparently, to pay for grad school. I was shook. Yeah, I mean, there are really shitty doctors out there. Uh Most of them are good. Yep. I think most want to help people. Um, I still think my my worst was the aforementioned doctor who's like you don't have that you're just depressed and like depression is also a pretty serious illness so it was like weirdly dismissive of both yeah but yeah there's actually my doctor now is my favorite doctor I've ever had because I told her what condition I have and she's just like well that sucks I'm like thank you that was a good response (laughs) like valid "We'll, we'll work it fine from here and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it's, there are so many shitty doctors. I'm sorry that you got accused, of, like, and that's so weird, because, like, number one, if you, were, if you were a sex worker, really none of his business. No, and especially, like, the first time, like, I mean, well, to start out, like, it was a very weird situation, because it was a psychiatrist who was seeing clients out of his house, which is kind of, like, red flag number one. Don't like that, yeah. Don't love that. Um, went inside, um... So he had, like, this big chair that kind of looked like something from medieval times that he was sitting in, and on either side of him were, like, these stacks of books that he was using almost as, like, end tables, and then there were, like, cats everywhere. So there was, like, a number of things, <laughs> like, in hindsight, like, he Are made... you sure this man was actually a doctor? <laughs> I question it every day. Did you check his license? 
Yeah, I... I don't know. I have... I have such mixed feelings about mental health practitioners who oh me too will do that out of their home in per- obviously a lot of us are doing in-home stuff right now via telehealth that's completely sure. different but like would you ever consider seeing a client in your home no, no. absolutely not no like i love my clients and i trust them and it's nothing like against them but it's just one of those things where it's like there has to be a boundary there it feels like a weird boundary issue yeah because um i do remember seeing someone in their home mm-hmm. and like seeing their children very and i'm odd. just like listen i'm a very trustworthy individual but now i know exactly what your kids like and what their names are and and a lot of their likes and dislikes a lot of just like your personal information just... that just happens to be there and it's just, it, it, it feels weird to me. It feels like a really, it's a strange boundary. And I'll tell you what, I had a period of time where I was practicing out of another clinician's home, and that was weird for me as, like, another, like, therapist. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, this is strange. Like, like I don't like this. And I get, and it's also just, like, it's different if you live in a ho- in an area that has like an outbuilding or has an office with a separate entrance but even then I still wouldn't do it I just yeah. don't think I would ever be comfortable again my clients are great it's nothing against my clients but like I don't want to see clients and live in the same space I need that separation and yeah I, I, just, I just don't know if I want everybody also I'm just like private person and it's just like i don't need you like, to know where also, i live like that requires a lot of cleaning which i'm not like <laughs> i'm not wanting to do so it's like There's also that. if you're allergic to dogs you can't be here because my dog sheds like nobody's business and i can't vacuum 14 times a day to keep all her fur up so like it's too much i can't Nobody needs to know how much of a garbage human I am. <laughs> it's my own business. This is private. <laughs> private uh, stuff. Okay. So, just kind of like a different angle with this Munchausen's biz. Um, so, I know for a lot of people, when it comes to specifically Munchausen's by proxy, that can be really confusing for people because they're like, okay, like, as a parent, like, it's hardwired that you want to protect your kids so it's disturbing to think about people who harm their kids like why would they do that mm-hmm. um so i found this really great article by in insider um and the writer was Lindsay dodson um and they actually interviewed katie morton who's like a pretty famous um youtuber and lmft Um, So anyway, so in the article, basically what they're saying is that for the adults, all the attention and praise for being a good parent far outweighs any of the negative impact on the child. Um, And this could be because they never developed a healthy attachment style when they grew up. So for example, if their parents were emotionally abusive or they were neglected, it may only be when they were sick that they received any attention at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this link is then made in their minds. Again, we all, what we always talk about, what fires together, wires together. 
Um, so the link is made in their minds and they associate being taken care of in illness with love and connection. Um, also, mental illnesses are somewhat creative and I would agree with that because a lot of them are like coping skills. Um, and factitious disorder is comorbid actually with substance abuse issues, um, eating disorders, and other um, similar disorders as that. And, you know, it, it makes sense, you know, especially if you look at it from like an attachments perspective. Um, you know, Megan and I used to work in the emotion regulation and temperament lab and we studied attachment like nobody's business. Um, and so with disorganized attachment, a lot of times that does happen where people become very confused about what love and connection actually looks like and what they need to do in order to achieve it because it's so sporadic or all over the place with their caregivers. Um, so I thought that was really helpful to have it explained in that way. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I wanted to talk about too was just the impact on victims. So, you know, if yeah. it's Munchausen's by proxy, usually it's children of, you know, these people. And uh, I was actually going over a case study. Um, so it's Munchausen's by proxy, a case chart series literature review of older victims. Um, and this was put out in 2005. Um, and what they found is that older children who are the victims of Munchausen by proxy may have an induced illness but falsified reports of symptoms in medical history to coerce the child to undergo medical procedures. Um, and so collusion of the victim with the perpetrator may become a factor as the child ages and adopts the deception. So what's really happening there, like if you think about it, is there there is a perpetrator, obviously. So like the adult would be the perpetrator and there's this grooming, right? There's this coercion. Um, that's happening. Um, so that adds to the deception. Um, given the complex relationship that exists between the parent and the child, it is difficult to predict whether the victim either will assist the caregiver in maintaining the factitious illness or be able to recognize the falsification. Um, they also found that older children who are the victims of Munchausen's by proxy may fear consequences of revealing that factitious illness. So, you know, that really does explain, you know, the complex relationship between the child and the adult and how, you know, a big part of it, a big part of what's keeping, you know, the lie going is a lot of times these kids trying to protect their parents from getting in trouble. They don't want, you know, that secret out and to admit, like, okay, I didn't really have all these symptoms, I wasn't really this sick, you know, puts their parent at risk, quote unquote, for getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so it really mimics a lot of other abusive relationships in that way. And I think at the same time, if you think about the idea of being a child and that's how you were raised, like, you might not even know that it's yeah. fake. You might have no awareness, that was a big thing. Um, with the Gypsy Rose, with the Dee Dee Blanchard, which we're not going to do a deep dive in because no, quite everybody frankly, it's been done. If you would like to learn more, there's an HBO documentary, there's the show The Act on Hulu, which is not 100% accurate, but is entertaining. Um, there's also like, I think My Favorite Murder did one, I think Last Podcast on the Left did one. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure you can find 15 different podcasts on it if you really want to do it. 
But in her case, she didn't know how old she actually was. She didn't know she didn't have cancer. She didn't know she could actually walk. She didn't know any of these things. So it's like, you may not even know. And even if you do know that your parent is doing something that's making you sick, you may not know that you weren't sick in the first place. Like, you may think they're treating you. You may think oh, I actually am sick, but they have to make me look more sick for the doctor to believe me or whatever. Like, right. you may not have that full awareness because it's how it's you It's very grew covert up. abuse. Yeah, definitely. All right. Anyway, so um, another thing that I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is the difference between Munchausen's and hypochondria. Um, because I feel like that also can be something that can be confusing for some people mm-hmm. so um so factitious disorder which is munchausen's um and hypochondria are both conditions involving illnesses that aren't real so that's what they have in common um with illness anxiety which is hypochondria the difference is you really think something is wrong um but with factitious disorder you don't think something is wrong with you you're, what you're wanting is the attention Um, So what you're doing is you're falsifying the signs and symptoms that you're having to get attention from doctors and to get a diagnosis. Whereas, you know, again, with the illness anxiety or hypochondria, you really feel that you are feeling these things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, for the people with hypochondria, they are so worried that they're sick, what they tend to do is avoid a lot of different places and group outings because they don't want to get anybody sick or they're afraid they're going to get sick. Um, So they're also likely to make hundreds of doctor's appointments and are unlikely to believe medical professionals when they get a clean bill of health. Um, So that's kind of similar um, with Munchausen's in a way, Mm -hmm. um, but that whole piece of not believing the medical professionals is different. in the U.S. and other countries with no universal health care, a lot of these folks will pay out of pocket and crack up thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, in medical bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Katie Morton actually talked about this a little bit, and she had said it's almost like a delusion. It's somewhere in that firmly held belief that you're going to get sick or you are sick. You're just ruminating thoughts like, oh my goodness, this could be happening. Um, so yeah, that's like the big difference between the two is like actually believing if you have it or not. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So one other thing before we break into our stories a little bit that I wanted to talk about, um, and this is something that is a brand new research topic. I was able to find like one paper talking about how it is a thing, but it has not been researched yet. It's a brand new topic, and this is something that people are calling Munchausen's by internet. Mm-hmm. So this is a new category specifically geared towards people who fake illnesses and worsen symptoms on the internet for attention. So things like people infiltrating support groups when they're not actually sick, or um, people who have full accounts documenting their illness and their chronic illness, but who are obviously maybe not sick or are making it worse or could be full Munchausen's influencing their symptoms. So 
It's kind of an interesting thing. I ended up uh, stumbling upon a snark group about some of these people on Reddit and being up till like one o'clock in the morning reading through it. Because uh, it was interesting, and I think the problem is, it is hard to tell if they're really sick or not. Yeah. And there were red flags. And I'm not, I'm not going to call out any of these people specifically, because I have no idea. Like, I don't know them, I don't know their symptoms. But, like, you know, there are people who have pretty prominent chronic illness blogs, where some of what they're saying is going on with them is highly questionable. And as somebody who is chronically ill and does have some of the same conditions as them, it's a bit like, I don't know if it works like that, or, like, it's confusing. Um, Do you have an example? So, one person uh, was talking about having their new feeding tube due to cyclical vomiting, and people are like, that's not a feeding tube, that's obviously, like, an IV tube that you've put in your nose. Oh. For pictures. And she's like, listen, I know I pretended to have a port in the past, but this is real this time. So even admitting that they had faked having it in the past, or, you know, people who are um, saying things about um, hypermobility in particular, that's like one of my diagnoses is something called joint hypermobility syndrome, which is... It's similar to either Donlos hypermobile, except, like, it's not technically genetic, it's not a collagen thing, it's like, and it's not quite as severe, but people saying that they're having full dislocations, having, like, 8 to 15 full joint dislocations a day, um, when that's really, un- and most of the time full dislocations typically have to be, like, put back in by a doctor, if you have what most people with hypermobile disorders have are sublocations where it slightly comes out and goes right back in. So it's not as, they're like, oh, this happened, I had 15 dislocations today and I can't move and stuff like that where it sounds like it's perhaps being like over, just like it might be worsening, like they might really have it, but that's not exactly how it works. And where Mm -hmm. it's like, it's so terrible, I can't even walk. And then an hour later, they're like, going on a hike for fun and stuff like that. Where it's just like, that doesn't quite match what you're saying. For sure. Um, That's a good example. And so obviously, like, chronic illnesses can change frequently. Like, dislocations and sublocations do happen. It's just the manner in which some people present it. Which a lot of, like influencer nonsense is pretty fake to begin with so it can be confusing to tell when things are so inconsistent it's like was this like a scheduled post that you put up that's just and then you posted something that's real and something that was scheduled ahead of time that doesn't jive or what is it that's happening here yeah and so just like some confusing thing especially the one person who's like i know i pretended to have a port in the past but like this is really a feeding tube yeah and it's just like well feeding tubes have you ever seen someone with a feeding tube in before uh no i don't think i have they're really tiny like they're pretty small um really tiny i don't know enough about it to be able to tell if it was an iv tube or a a feeding tube like I don't know enough but I do know that there so it's just like confusing things yeah where it's just like it does 
it's hard to pinpoint. And that's the thing, is I won't say for sure if anybody is or is not sick. I'm not a doctor, that's not my place. But again, sometimes it's just slightly off, which could be that person's presentation is slightly off, and obviously I'm not an expert on anything, even if I do have it, that's my own experience. But it is, like, slightly suspicious the way things are worded and presented. Um, there was a really popular one. Her name was Belle Guinness, I believe, who pretended <sighs> yeah. to have cancer and raised a bunch of money but didn't actually ever have cancer. That's a good example. So it's just like that, where it's just like, well, you don't, you were never sick in the first place. You just were, like, pretending to be sick for attention, which is what people with Munchausen's do. Ugh. Yikes. So now, Lauren, I believe you're going to talk about a case of Munchausen's by proxy. Correct. Alright, so I'm going to talk about somebody named Kathy Bush. Um, so this case is actually a Munchausen's by proxy case. Um, and I found it extremely interesting for a number of reasons, and I'll kind of get into that. But I was actually really surprised that I hadn't heard about her before. So... Kathy Bush was just kind of your average soccer mom living with her husband. Um, she had three kids and lived in Coral Springs, Florida. So her two sons were both healthy, mm-hmm. but she had a daughter named Jennifer, and she was plagued with health issues from a very early age and underwent procedure after procedure and hospitalization after hospitalization. Um, and so what ended up happening is Kathy Bush and her family had to deal with the humongous medical bills. And because of that, Kathy advocated for health care reform and spoke very publicly about this. She definitely became ahead of um, that policy um, and, you know, spoke publicly about her daughter's illness, um, which, you know, to this day, you know, she would she had referred to it as a mysterious stomach ailment. Um, so Kathy's efforts actually made national attention. So in 1994, she visited the White House. Um, she testified at congressional hearings, and Jennifer actually met with the First Lady at the time, Hillary Clinton. So, you know, she definitely got a lot of notoriety from this. Um, then, reportedly, Jennifer, it kind of came out that Jennifer had been reportedly hospitalized more than 200 times and survived more than 40 surgeries in the eight years that she was alive, um, which is crazy. So, you know, just kind of like looking at those numbers, it's kind of like, wait, like what, what's going on here? Um, so then everything changed in 1995. So the year after she visited the white house, um, Jennifer was removed from the home and Kathy ended up being arrested and accused of faking and causing Jennifer's ailments. Um, so Kathleen was arrested on charges of, biz- of a bizarre form of child abuse of willful torture, quote unquote, accusing her of making her daughter sick by somehow poisoning her with medications and allegedly contaminating her feeding tubes, perhaps with feces, according to a 40 page police affidavit. Um, the case was super complex, and the accusations against her were pretty lengthy. Um, an example of one of the accusation, accusations was there were multiple times where her pumps would mysteriously malfunction. Um, she would go from being completely healthy and happy to being sick like clockwork, quote-unquote, um, when her mother would arrive. 
Her levels of drugs would skyrocket for no reason, even after medications were discontinued. Um, so there, there are a lot of things like this that kind of were adding up. Um, and one arrest warrant, based on interviews with 14 different physicians and 20 nurses in Hollywood, Florida, uh, the police department child abuse investigators described years of painful exams and surgeries that police say were unnecessary, including the removal of Jennifer's gallbladder, appendix, and a portion of her intestines. And again, this girl's only eight. Wow. Um, a big clue that Jennifer made a, a big clue, you know, towards these accusations is that once, um, you know, her mom was arrested, Jennifer was put into foster care, and Jennifer made a miraculous recovery after being placed in foster care. So that kind of says a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Kathy then opted to go to trial and argued that she just devoted, she was just a devoted mom taking care of her child, and she was being framed because of the advocacy for health care reform. Okay. Uh huh. And so then, uh, she said that her daughter had suffered and physicians had diagnosed immune deficiency, a seizure bladder disorder, chronic urinary and ear infections, and most seriously, chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction syndrome. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Alright, so there's that. Then, what ended up happening is the jury really didn't buy it. They thought it was super fishy. And Kathy Bush was convicted of aggravated child abuse and fraud. Um, she ended up being released, though, in June after serving three years prison with several months in a work release program. The thing that I find most interesting about this case is that when Jennifer turned 18 in 2005, she actually had the judge clear a reunion with her mother. Um, the judge ruled that um, Jennifer and Kathy could visit each other, but the two may not live together. Um, she also ruled that Kathy was not allowed to administer any drugs or medicines or make any health care decisions regarding her daughter. Okay. Um, the other part, you know, just to kind of add on to this that was really surprising, is that in 2015, uh, Jennifer released a statement, I believe, to People Magazine, um, that her mom never abused her and wanted to mend things with her family after a traumatic experience in the foster care system. Um, so, just like my two cents on that. So, obviously, um, let's, you know, for the sake of argument, say that all of these allegations are true. That, you know, Kathy had Munchausen's by proxy, um, was doing all of this to her daughter. The issue with it is a lot of these cases of Munchausen's by proxy with children, you know, the abuse is so covert that I really don't know if Jennifer would fully understand what actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think what probably added on to the confusion and, you know, her wanting to reunite with her mom is the fact that she was saying when she was placed in foster care, she was having traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure compared to what she was experiencing in foster care, you know, being around her mom probably felt like the safer option. Right. And the thing is, with stuff that they're saying, like injecting things into feeding tubes and giving medications and stuff, especially when somebody has a tube, it wouldn't be hard to do when they were sleeping. Absolutely. There's so many ways that like, you could do it without the child knowing it's being done that she probably genuinely believes that she wasn't 
abused, or she just may not consider it abuse. It is a complicated issue, and again, what you grow up with, you tend to think is normal. Absolutely. And especially, like, if her mom was doing things like, you know, I'm fighting for you, um, you know, I'm here for you, and, like, took good care of her, quote-unquote, I could see how that would be extremely confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it's pretty clear, too, like, within this, that if, you know, Kathy truly does have Munchausen's by proxy, um, obviously she's getting the recognition of, wow, like, she's taking good care of her daughter, but then she was getting all of that public attention, yeah. too, um, you know, related to healthcare reform and being able to see, you know, Hillary Clinton and, like, all of that stuff, and it, I'm sure if, you know, she does have this disorder and she is really that sick, it might be one of those things where it's, like, oh, well, if my daughter's better, I'm not going to get this type of attention anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is an interesting case. I think so, too. And I think it really, like, points out, like, the psychology of things. Um, So, yeah, I was surprised I had never heard of it until now. Yeah, that does seem like one that we would have heard of. Especially with, like, the public, you know, stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, we ready for mine? I'm ready. So this is... I'm just going to be doing a case study, actually, so we don't know who this person is, the mystery person. I love a case study. This is a clinical case study um, from Baylor University. It's by Adriana Savino and John Fortran, MD, some doctors over at Baylor. Um... And so they actually had a list of six cases of Munchausen's disorder that they identified, that they did the case studies in this, um, and talk about, um, it's, these are cases they all have to do with, um, people who had long-term diarrhea, and this is the case of one of those, they just referred to her as patient one, she was a young female, all we know, patient one, um, okay. So she had, this all started when she had reconstructive jaw surgery and began to have diarrhea a few days afterwards. Wow. So, had surgery, started to have diarrhea. They did evaluations at two institutions to figure out why she was having diarrhea. They could not figure it out. And then after a year of her having diarrhea, she was referred to this to the Baylor Medical Center where this started. A year of having diarrhea, that's awful. A year. Yeah. Well, a year after the onset of it. So we don't know if she was having it all the time throughout or what was happening. Um, While she was there, not to get too gross about diarrhea here, but this is a medical discussion, this is a medical case study, so we're going through the medical details to demonstrate the lengths of what's happening. Um, so typically, the weight that a woman will poop out every day, I'm trying to think of the more, like... Expel. Expel, thank you, that's what I was thinking of. The weight of the stool that the average woman expels during the day is 87 grams a day, plus or minus 8. Okay. The amount of stool that this woman was putting out per day was 1,008 grams. So typical is 87, plus or minus 8. She's in the thousands. She's over a thousand. So she's pooping quite a bit. 
Um, they look at all yeah, the- she is. That's a so much. I, I googled it. I did a little translation. That is like 2.2 pounds. Yikes. Daily. Um, all previous- so they look at previous biopsies, x-rays, other tests. They did upper and lower endoscopies. They found nothing. They asked if she took laxatives. She said no. And a stool- urine and stool laxative screen was negative. They didn't look through her belongings, and she was sent home with advice on symptom management. Okay. Then a year later, so two years after the onset of the diarrhea, she went to another medical center. The tests were repeated. No diagnosis was found. Um, however, after a colonoscopy, she had severe bleeding and required multiple units of blood, which again is showing how significant and dangerous this disorder can be because like even those medical procedures, there's always risks that can evolve. So she lost a lot of blood, yeah. had to get blood transfusions. Um, and after a few months, her weight had dropped to 108 pounds. So she dropped severe, lost a severe amount of weight because of all of the diarrhea. Um, yeah. And so then she had to get nutritional supplementation because she couldn't keep food down. Um, mm -hmm. So after, now she's at three years from the onset of diarrhea. Um, she returned to this facility, the Baylor University Medical Center, um, but they had found before the last time that they were there that the screen that they were using for laxatives was not accurate. So they oh. do a screen again. Um, they had her urine, urine analyzed with thin layer chromatography and it tested positive for laxatives. This bitch. So this... <laughs> what was that? I was like, this bitch. It knew... And they're like, she's had laxatives. So, we found it. They found evidence of the use. So then they're kind of going through. They had to decide whether or not they were going to confront her with their suspicion that she was causing this. So they're saying the pros, if we confronted her, we had to decide whether to tell her husband who was with her the whole time. Ooh. So they're like, some of the benefits of confrontation include confirming the diagnosis, convincing the parent patient to stop doing this, in avoiding future medical complications. The downsides is it may ruin the doctor-patient relationship, it may ruin the patient's marriage, and they may That's not accomplish her, anything. Right, but like, imagine if they're wrong, and they uh, say this yeah, and it true. ruins the patient's marriage. There's that. True, um, okay. So they, they're, they're citing some research, benefits and risk of confrontation, uh, by Reich and Gottfried, who reviewed 41 cases of factitious diseases from a single institution. 33 of the 41 patients were confronted with evidence that their disorders were self-induced. None signed out of the hospital or became suicidal. Good. And then 13 of the 33 patients acknowledged that their illness was self-induced. So only 13 out of 33. So, like, barely half, Admitted yeah. it. Yeah. Well, less than half. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Less yep. than half. Um, however, most improved and four became asymptomatic. So some of them didn't admit it, but did stop. Um, well, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, that, you know, that confrontation at least would make them think about it just like in their working memory, you know? Right. Um, so they kind of go through and then that. So they said the findings are in general agreement with our experience with patients who... In induced diarrhea except that 
more of from their experience they have had people leave against medical advice and they have had fewer that admitted to fraudulent behavior so they haven't had as good luck in the study um gotcha. ultimately they did decide to confront her in the presence of her husband um she cried and said that she had absolutely not been taking laxatives and said she didn't even know what the ingredient was um her husband searched the house didn't find laxatives and believed his wife he later found an empty box of laxatives in her closet and then was convinced that she was doing it um so the husband and another doctor agreed to try to get psychiatric help for her wow can you imagine how he probably felt he was probably like what the fuck right especially after spending so much money on hospital visits and being with her in the hospital three years three years so um the researchers also talk about how to supportively confront someone about having a fatigue disorder um so they say the basis for the confrontation approach is that Factitious disease represents the patient's attempt to cope with emotional distress, but the patient may yep. not recognize that they are in desperate need of help. Yep. And that an understanding and supportive attitude by the staff will make it possible with the patient to cope and live through the shame and shattered self-image that will result from the confrontation. So I like that they are acknowledging that this is like a very delicate thing and that you don't yeah. just want to be like you're making it up because it's such it's such a severe mental illness that you do have to approach it with compassion right um, and i feel like it's very intertwined with their psyche mm-hmm. so you have to be very careful you have to be exceedingly careful with this and so they have a procedure which is to let the patient know what you suspect without accusing them got it support the suspicion with facts and then provide empathetic and face-saving comments, like maybe you took it in your sleep, what you did was a cry for help, like, we understand, we want to help you, we realize this was stressful, we want to keep caring for you. So to do it with compassion, and even kind of, like, give them an out of, like, we understand maybe you didn't mean to take this much, like, maybe you didn't realize, because also, especially in self-induced diarrhea, it could also be more of an eating disorder situation. Very true. Laxative abuse is really common in women with eating disorders. Um, I think it's more common with women than men with eating disorders, but I'm not looking at the research, so that might not be correct. But it is a common eating disorder behavior to abuse laxatives as a yes. manner of purging instead of vomiting. For um, sure. And then avoid... They're like not trying to really probe and understand because that'll set up the person's defenses um yeah. assure the patient that only people who need to know that it was them will know um and really just make sure the staff accept the patient as a person who needs help and that they shouldn't abandon the patient they should continue to care for the patient because ultimately if you're looking at this the people who have um done who have been, especially if you're talking about laxative, laxative abuse for years, you're still going to need the help of these doctors because of what oh, you've done sure. to your system. Like it your needs stomach lining, like ugh. like it needs to heal, and you're going to need medical intervention to heal it, most likely. Or like, I think they say that some of this stuff after a year it will heal itself, but it's like after a full year of not taking it, and you're probably going to have some weird stuff happen. For so, sure. um, an update 
on this person. Ooh, we have two updates. That's why I like case studies. Um, okay, here we are. So, the family and some of this person's doctors were confronted again years later to get an update on her condition. They say generally things were much better for the family. It was wise to confront the patient. However, the patient felt betrayed. She never accepted the diagnosis and did not follow through with mental health treatment. Again, if they're not agreeing that that's what's happening, they're not going to go through treatment and they're not going to get help. Um, she still has various medical problems constantly with frequent appointments with specialists. She's fascinated with illness, but is less dramatic and receives less attention. Two weeks prior to the phone call, the patient had had hip surgery. She had had... Um, another surgery as well. She had surgery, like... <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Cholestectomy. Uh-huh. I think that might be getting, um, a bag for your colon. Oh. I think that's what that is, but let me Google that real fast just to see what this is. Should have done this beforehand. Oh, it's a gallbladder removal. Okay. Ooh, got gallbladder removed. This is a medical journal, which is why they didn't just say gallbladder removal. <laughs> like, everyone knows this. Yeah, she had already had surgery to correct damage from teeth grinding. Um, they were told that she's probably not taking laxatives anymore, but several times a year has serum potassium is low. They found diuretics in her urine. Um, it mm -hmm. seems clear that she is not cured. Mm -hmm. And her compulsion to be sick continues. Shortly after the patient left to return home, they spoke again to, well, or they had also spoke to the family to try to determine the motivation for the laxative use. They were mm -hmm. told there was no evidence of an eating disorder or sexual abuse. Um, okay. For six years, the patient had worked in a doctor's office. Um, they were told she's always been a great believer in medicine and she doesn't see the risks. She's had multiple orthopedic surgeries without any clear need and the jaw surgery was done for questionable reasons. So the surgery that started this all off, they're not sure if she even needed it. Got it. Um, she was the center of attention. She's married to a loving and caring husband but is unable to have children. The diarrhea started about three months after her diagnosis of infertility. Oh. So... Bing! I think we targeted it. That could be the stressful event. They're like, parenthetically, it is interesting to note that factitious disease often begins shortly after a stressful event. So if you oh, think about oh, it, if you oh. are someone who really does want children, finding out that um, you cannot have children is a distressing thing to have happen if that's something that you really For felt sure. strongly about. And, that, and it could start, like, creating, like, almost, like, this unhealthy relationship with your body, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and so that very well could be where this started for this one woman. Um, and so, again, I think that demonstrates kind of psychologically where it's at, but also the lengths that people will go. Like, just try to imagine having diarrhea for three years. I can't. Like, that's literally awful. I would be the worst person to be around. Like, I couldn't do that to myself? No. And I mean, it, and that's the thing is the lengths that people with Munchausen's go to to induce illness really demonstrates how psychologically ill they are because they're doing things to themselves that I don't think most people could do. 
Well, and it, it makes me wonder and kind of speculate, too, like, about, like, her situation with infertility. Like, I wonder if, as they're going through with it, or, or just, like, finding out, like, okay, like, we can't get pregnant. I wonder if, like, the husband didn't have, like, as intense of a reaction or was like, oh, you know, like, it's okay, like, whatever, and, like, wasn't supporting her as much as maybe she needed to be supported, and so she kind of turned it into this thing where now he's, like, supporting her, like, excessively mm-hmm. for, like, a different reason. Right, and, like, it is, uh, it's a complicated one because it's so intense, like, what she did. Yeah. It's, like, that's a very intense reaction. Um, For sure. But they were, some of the people who they cited in this study had their, like, frequent diarrhea symptoms had been going on for over ten years before they figured out that it was Munchausen's. So, like, that's how significant some of this can be and how hard it is to catch. Because if you think about it, like, they obviously suspected it pretty early on, but their laxative test was faulty and said she didn't have laxatives in her system. Now, she did. But, like, especially if you kind of start to get called, and then they don't, like, the tests back up that it's, you know, is something wrong with you. It's just really interesting to see the lengths that people will go to and just how severe the illness actually is. Agreed. So, totally yeah, agree. That is that case study. Damn. Well. Right. There it is. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to just talk about, like, Munchausen's in and of itself, because I think usually when you hear about it, you only hear about it in the by-proxy form. For sure. Because I think when it's, like, oh, it's a child abuse thing, I think people find it a bit more interesting. Yeah. And, like, when you look at it with just regular Munchausen, it's just sad. Like, yeah, I it's, it's feel very sad. sad for these people going through the lengths to hurt themselves and to appear sick. And, like, yeah. I mean, I don't get it. I think especially as a chronically ill person, it's hard to imagine wanting to live like this. Right. But it is, it's important to have compassion. Because Absolutely. they're very, very sick people. They're just not sick in the way that everyone thinks they're sick. Well, and I think there's, like, an important message there, too, of, like, when people are suffering and need help, it's important that we give them the proper amount of help and recognition, mm-hmm. um, because I really do feel like that's a preventative measure from a lot of, like, other things happening, whether it's, you know, Munchausen's to get attention, or, you know, other ways to hurt themselves or get attention that cause harm to themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Attention-seeking behavior is intense. I mean, we know them. We've seen them. We've all. Ugh. Yep. <sighs> but yeah, guys. Alright, so some good shit. Uh, Megan, do you have anything? Hi. No. <laughs> I don't have anything. Um, I'm trying to think right now. Good shit, good shit, good shit. Mm. Oh, so one good shit thing is... Obviously, with, um, you know, this pandemic, there are more available, like, webinars and things like that. Um, I got just trained in a webinar um, for EMDR so that I can successfully do it over Zoom. Mm -hmm. 
um, which makes EMDR more available for my clients so I don't have to be in person to do that. And I also learned a technique that is especially terrific for OCD and phobias. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I'm just very excited for, you know, this opportunity that people are creating to just share knowledge right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what was nice about it, it's, you know, this training, I don't know if I would have been able to afford it originally, but I feel like people are just wanting to like share more knowledge and I feel like that's really cool. Yeah, they've definitely slashed prices on online trainings. Yeah. I have two different 40 hour trainings. I'm working on right now so yeah the training is good I think there's a lot of good opportunities for learning right now for sure I agree yeah all right guys well thank you for getting spooky yeah uh, just quick plug, plug our social media for everything social media spooky yeah. psychology st. Charles Lauren's Instagram is Lauren L-U-R-E-N underscore Malika M-O-L-L-I-C-A L-M-F-T and that's at Instagram Instagram mine is Megan Baker L-C-S-W we will have a link to our Patreon as well as our sponsor Therabox for self care stuff Um, so we'll have that all below support us if you can we appreciate it did we already say what our Facebook was? yes okay just kidding Um, so go there too also, let us know if you want to be part of um, Spooky Psychology Live. We haven't really gotten a lot of feedback on that, so we're going to wait until we have people are, that are interested and have ideas of what they want to hear about. Um, so if you are interested, please let us know um, so we can make that happen. No, and if you have topic suggestions, questions, comments, or feedback, just let us know. Word. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks for getting spooky. Thanks for getting spooky. Bye. Bye.